Greetings, one and all, and welcome back to another episode of the Blindside Blitz Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things NFL football. And we're looking ahead to the 2020 season with part two of my divisional previews. It's a four-part series. Last time around, we went over the AFC North and the AFC East. And today, we're going to be getting into the rest of the AFC, the AFC West, and the AFC South. Well, it's been a little bit since I came and recorded a podcast, and a lot has happened since I last spoke to you guys. Patrick Mahomes got paid. Like, paid. Like, a half a billion dollars paid. Derrick Henry got paid. Not quite half a billion dollars paid, but he got paid too. The Patriots evolved into contenders overnight with the arrival of Cam Newton. Which, <laughs> going back on that now, that's that's a team that I should have waited on because I already talked about the Patriots and previewed them. So, whenever you go back and listen to part one of my divisional preview series, you're going to hear me talk about the Patriots. You're going to hear me talk about them a lot. And all the while, I'm, I'm assuming that Jared Sidham is their starting quarterback because Cam Newton arrived after I released and published that podcast. So, just obviously take that with a grain of salt. I'll mention the Patriots right now quick in starting, and they're going to be much better <laughs> than Jared's. I, Cam Newton's just a better quarterback than Jared Stidham. It doesn't take rocket scientist, science to figure that out, and I am most certainly not a rocket scientist. So, a better Patriots team is going to happen. What else has happened? Uh, the Washington <clears throat> um, football team has fully imploded. On a number of levels, not only has their organization been rocked with scandal, but they must have the least creative people on the planet running that team. I mean, are you... When I saw the headline that the Washington, formerly Redskins, was going to be called the Washington football team for the 2020 season, I I I genuinely thought that it was an Onion article. That's what you think, right? No sports, no professional sports organization could be that dumb. Right? No. No, I was wrong. Because good old Dan Snyder. It's one thing to change your name from the Washington Redskins to something different. I certainly see the merit in that. It's another to take the cop out road and just call yourselves the football team... My word! Literally, you would have been better off just Googling cool sports names and picking one. I don't understand how... Now, okay, I did hear that a lot of the issues surrounding uh, the selection of a new name had to do with copyright and the fact that some guy held the rights to some of the names that they were looking to choose. But still, anything would have been better than the Washington football team, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm not crazy here. Heck, the Dolphins, right? The Miami Dolphins are the worst team name probably ever because the Dolphins are not aggressive and threatening or anything like that. But, man, just pick some animal. I don't know. (sighs) Terrible. Just terrible. Embarrassing. I don't think that there was a single person in the Redskins organization that had a single creative thought in their entire life in that meeting because the fact that they came up with the Washington football team is just embarrassing. And look, we haven't even gotten to coronavirus yet (laughs) because right now we are having no preseason. 
which I am rather happy about to some extent, but also incredibly disappointed at because there's multiple ways that you should approach this. I'm happy in the sense that we're going to be moving directly from no football to watching football that matters, right? There's no sort of bridge where we get to watch some sort of meaningless football game that ultimately the only thing that can come out of that 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 you know matters is for a star player to get hurt. All right, that's sort of what the preseason has been. So in that sense, yeah, it's good. We're not going to have any meaningless football games for us at least. However, we obviously know that preseason games are not meaningless. Right? They're important steps for practice squad backup third string players to be able to take to prove their worth and to prove why they either belong on the team or, you know, deserve a, spart- a starting spot, rather, on, on the roster. So that's kind of disappointing because these guys aren't going to get that opportunity that coronavirus has just robbed them of, and that is, it's sad. So to that extent, I'm sad that there is no preseason. But, you know, ultimately it is what it is, no more preseason, and we should be looking right now at uh, the NFL as <laughs> it's really great when you look at the number of positive coronavirus tests that we've had so far, the last that I have looked at it, I'm not looking at it right now, but there's not very many positive cases. It's like, it's like a two, 2.5% positive test rate among the NFL, which is really good. That's really good. And training camp is uh, getting ready to get kicked into high gear. Uh, July 28th is when the players will get to head to training camp. So uh, that's fun. I'm looking forward to it. And I am, confident that football is going to happen this year to some extent now is it going to derail after a few weeks if we get a lot of positive tests i don't know but i'm optimistic about the season so far so we've got a lot to discuss in the podcast today and actually before we jump in we have a little bit of breaking news i don't know if i can find my breaking news drop let's see Well, it is what it is. I was homeschooled and I can't find anything. We have a trade and a big loud mouth out in New York that has been begging to get out of there for a long time now. Jamal Adams, one of the best safeties in the entire NFL, he's gone. The Jets have dealt Jamal Adams and a fourth round pick in 2022 over to the Seattle Seahawks in exchange for their safety Bradley McDougal. A first-round pick in 2021, a third-round pick in 2021, and a first-round pick in 2022. This is according to a tweet by Adam Schefter. So, wow. <laughs> Basically, the Jets got robbed from an objective standpoint. Now, I understand that you sort of have to do what you got to do when you have a guy like Jamal Adams, who is one of the best players in the league, and you just won't pay him. So, I mean, I get that. Good old... Monkey eyeball looking Adam Gase has uh, gotten rid of uh, gotten rid of Jamal Adams. So we're gonna see how that's gonna turn out. But the Jets are not going to be a good football team this year, and probably not for the foreseeable future. I'm not very high on New York. I'm not one of the Sam Darnold truthers that thinks that Sam Darnold is gonna somehow turn this Jets franchise around. No, until chameleonize Adam Gase actually shows competence. The New York Jets are going to suck. He has to display some sort of a grasp on coaching in the NFL before I'm going to have any faith in him. And this Jamal Adams trade, at least for now, leaves them with 
even less talent than they started out with, which is ridiculous because they're already at the bottom of the barrel in the NFL. So let me know what you think about that trade. Just happened uh, not too long ago. Looks like Adam Schefter sent the tweet out about an hour ago. So breaking news on the podcast today, but obviously it will be old news by the time you hear it. Anyways, we're jumping into some more previews to take our mind off of what's happening. So we've got a lot to discuss today. Two more divisional breakdowns. Let's get into the show. The Tennessee Titans were my favorite team to watch in 2019, without a doubt. Especially since my Pittsburgh Steelers were just excruciating to watch on the offensive side of the ball. It was fun to watch them on defense. Loved them adding Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, seeing the secondary actually succeed with Steven Nelson, Joe Hayden. You know, the front seven, man, guys like TJ Watt, Bud Dupree. It was fun to watch on the defense, but I had to look somewhere else to actually find a team that was fun to watch all through the playoffs, because obviously the Pittsburgh Steelers fell short. And it was a thrilling playoff run for them. They knocked off Tom Brady, ended his reign in New England, and they knocked out the guy that ended up being the MVP in Lamar Jackson, which was probably the biggest upset of the entire year. Ultimately, they uh, went up big against Kansas City as well. They did drop the title game to um, the the eventual Super Bowl winning champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. Man, 9-7, and seven, to turn things around with Ryan Tannehill at the helm, that was impressive, and they were my favorite team to watch. The front office was successful. The Titans obviously trust their front office. Mike Vrabel, the general manager, John Robinson, those are both relatively young guys. They're both 44 years old, and they locked up the guys that they needed to lock up. Ryan Tannehill, four-year, $118 million contract, And then they also agreed to a four-year, $50 million contract with Derrick Henry. And he's going to remain the anchor of their team. Ground and pound, insanely athletic. Just, he's a specimen. (laughs) Locking him up, making sure that he was on the team for the next several years was crucial. And it was critical, especially when you have a guy like Ryan Tannehill, who has struggled at points in his career mightily. And... To be able to be the comeback player of the year and lock him up, you're going to need a running game to rely on. And they locked up Derrick Henry, which was absolutely critical for their success in the coming years. Uh, He led the league in carries, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns. He had 16 rushing touchdowns and almost 1,600 rushing yards. He just needed 60 more yards to get to 1,600 rushing yards. Averaged over 100 yards per game, 100 rushing yards per game. It's, It's impressive, this guy's resume. And that, to me, is the strength of their team, is their rushing attack. Now, what about the rest of the offense? I am convinced that the combination of Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry is one of, if not the best, skill position trio in the NFL. I don't care what anybody has to say. They're on the border of probably top five in the league when Tannehill, A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry are clicking they're monsters. Like, who are you going to put above them? You know, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams, maybe, over in Green Bay. We don't really know what the Falcons trio is going to be able to do together yet with the addition of Todd Gurley. You're going to put the Ravens up there. You probably have the Cowboys, the Saints, and the Chiefs. But they're on the borderline of the top five, I would say, in terms of skill position, skill position trios in the league. I cannot speak today apparently, which isn't good uh, if you're doing a podcast. 
So that's another strength of their team. And they also have a really solid offensive line. Taylor Lewan is a good, he's an underrated offensive lineman. He's not the best left tackle in the league, but he was worth the money. And he's huge. Six foot six, 350 pounds. Assuming they stay healthy, the offense is going to be good for 27, 28 points most games. They're an offense that might not be able to win the game single-handedly, but they're going to be able to do enough. Now, the questions that they have are on the defense, because they lost Jarrell Casey, who went off to Denver, which was a huge, huge blow to them, which means their defensive line looks like Jeffrey Simmons, Jack Crawford, Daquan Jones. They have some talent in the linebacking core. They were able to get Vic Beasley, and definitely in the secondary. The secondary looks really good, actually. Adoree Jackson, Kenny Vaccaro, Kevin Byard, and Malcolm Butler. These are guys that, at their primes, were some of the best cornerbacks and safeties in the league. Their secondary looks really good. But I would say the lack of talent and experience, primarily on the defensive line, is their biggest weakness. The secondary is going to have to be able to make plays. I don't think that the defensive line is good enough to be able to get to the quarterback on a consistent basis, which means that the secondary could be exploited unless they're able to come together as a cohesive unit. And are the Titans going to be able to make up for that too? Are the Titans' offense going to be able to make up for the fact that the defense probably isn't going to sack the quarterback that many times? They probably won't be able to stop the rush that effectively. We'll see. Another guy worth mentioning is Johnny Smith. Because they don't have Delaney Walker anymore. But this is a guy that you might want to target in fantasy leagues. He's underrated. Great hands, great ball skills. He can run after the catch. He's kind of undersized, but he's still a great blocker. He finishes his blocks. And he's a guy that's going to be a big part of the Titans' offense. Might even be the second passing option behind A.J. Brown. You have Corey Davis there, too. But John New Smith is going to be a guy that Ryan Tannehill is going to look for a lot. Titans... Record prediction, they go 10-6, and six, they win the division, they make the playoffs. Tennessee, back-to-back years, taking the AFC South. Alright, so number two in the division is going to be the Indianapolis Colts. And I feel bad for Colts fans, because Andrew Luck was one of my favorite players, honestly, probably of all time. Suddenly retired, and the Colts brought in Phillip Rivers to try to make a run at the title, because they recognize that they, they've got talent on their team. They have playmakers, and they've upgraded the defense. And this is a team that can make some noise with the right quarterback, and they needed one because Kobe Brissett is not the guy. Don't kid yourself. I had him in fantasy football, and he was, you know, he was serviceable some weeks, but it was, um, it's clear that he's not the man that they're looking for. This is not the quarterback that they are looking for. So they went 7-9 and nine in 2019. They actually went 5-2 and two before they started to fall apart. I think the Steelers game where Minka took one back to the house off of Jacoby Brissett, or maybe it was Brian Hoyer at that point. I think that was when Jacoby got hurt. Either way, the Colts are looking to turn things around. They brought in Phillip Rivers because of his relationship with the Colts coach Frank Reich, and he's been in the league for 17 years. They just drafted him for a one-year, $25 million contract, which this means, to me at least, that they are trying to win now. They're trying to get whatever Rivers has left in the tank, and they want to be the ones that that get to use that because they recognize that they've got talent on their squad. However, 
their weakness clearly in my opinion has to be the lack of both cohesion and experience in the passing game right philip rivers obviously does not have a lack of experience statistics wise he's honestly one of the best quarterbacks to play the game right but he doesn't have cohesion or rapport with any of these wide receivers ty hilton knows the game he's been on the team for a while and he's obviously the number one wide receiver but you have guys like Paris Campbell and Zach Pascal you know younger guys that don't have as much experience and Michael Pittman is a rookie and he's probably going to be the number two receiver behind T.Y. Hilton just all these guys being able to learn how to work together effectively especially in this coronavirus shortened season and training camp and preseason that we're dealing with here that's going to be interesting to navigate and Philip Rivers is a smart guy. I think he's going to be able to succeed. But I think that that could put a damper on however much success that they'll have in uh, 2020. Tight end, they lost Eric Ebron. They still got Jack Doyle, who he can be a solid option at times, but he's kind of an average tight end. Uh, they have a deep and average backfield. Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, who's got potential. Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins, they've, they've got depth here. But the strength of their offense lies in their, in their O-line. And this is something that Philip Rivers has got to be just slobbering at the bit to get a chance to play behind this offensive line. He's had an awful offensive line. 20 interceptions last year with the Chargers. And he's on a team now that didn't have a missed start on its offensive line last year and ranks, well, it ranks seventh in, in offensive rushing yards. They drafted well and they shored up their offensive line. They re signed Anthony Costanzo for two years. Obviously, I mentioned Michael Pittman. They also drafted Jonathan Taylor. This gives them physicality and speed. And they've got a really nice one-two punch now with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. So the offense is going to be solid. The defense, in a very underrated way, they really shored up their defense, too. Look at the defensive line. They added DeForest Buckner, formerly of the San Francisco 49ers. The last game he played for the Niners was the Super Bowl. One and a half sacks. They ended up losing. But <laughs> the Colts wanted him. And he was a proven commodity. So being able to trade for him was perfect for the scheme that they were trying to run. He joins a very solid defense already, especially the linebacking core. So you got Justin Houston, who plays defensive end. He's also played linebacker. Darius Leonard, one of the best linebackers in the league. They added Xavier Rhodes from the Vikings, a cornerback. You've got Malik Hooker as a safety. On paper, this is a very, very good uh, secondary defensive line, front seven. This is a solid team. The problem is, especially given this shortened season, and especially given all the different pieces that are being sort of patched together to create a team, I don't think that they're going to be able to have as, as quite as, as a successful of a run as one might think. On paper, obviously, they look great. I'll keep saying that. But I don't think they're ready to win the division. And this is sort of a one-year experiment, especially based off of the guys that they add and especially based off of the fact that Philip Rivers is there on a one-year contract and he's 38 years old. They'll have a successful year, and my record prediction is 9-7. and seven. I think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think that they'll lose in the wildcard round. They're going to be, I think, that seventh seed... <laughs> Now that the playoffs have been expanded to include a seventh seed and a third wildcard team, that's going to be them, Colts in the AFC. We'll see how things turn out, but I am not believing the hype around the Colts. They're not going to be a double-digit win team in 2020. 
The Houston Texans are next up. Here is the good thing about the Houston Texans. Bill O'Brien is not calling plays anymore. Yeah, Texans fans should be thrilled. It's like when the people on the Titanic got saved. When they were rowing out to sea in their lifeboats. The Carpathia, that ship that saved all the survivors of the Titanic once it wrecked on that iceberg. In case you're not following the analogy, the Houston Texans fans are the survivors of the Titanic. Bill O'Brien is the iceberg that the Texans have been crashing on year in and year out. And the Carpathia, the ship that's saving them, is Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator for the Texans. So thankfully, Bill O'Brien doesn't have play-calling duties anymore, which is a festivist miracle and a good thing for the Texans. They should be thrilled. Bill O'Brien was awful. This is coming from a Penn State fan. I absolutely loved the Bill O'Brien days back in Penn State, but he's awful. He's held Watson back. Again, I'm I'm biased the other way. I liked Bill O'Brien when he was in Penn State, but he is terrible. He traded DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of chips and a haircut. This is a guy that doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to coaching. And again, that's obviously the big story for the Texans is trading away DeAndre Hopkins and I think that it's terrible but they've still got talent on the team and they're the reigning champs in the AFC South even though they went through some significant changes that game against Buffalo was intense in the wild card and it was a solid win it was a great win for the Texans and they almost beat the Chiefs there for a while until they blew a 24-0 lead but all offseason, they've been getting made fun of by both the f- their fans and the media. They still have talent, and they have enough talent to win the division. But they lost more than they gained. Who do they lose? DeAndre Hopkins, right? obviously, who is arguably the best wide receiver in the entire league. Top three. He's up there with Michael Thomas, you know, maybe Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams, that sort of area. They lost two star... I won't say star... But start where they re- start where the running backs in Carlos Hyde and Lamar Miller. In the secondary, they lost Jonathan Joseph to Sean Gibson and Mike Adams. <laughs> they lost a lot of pieces. They did some good things too. They improved an offensive line. That should be better. They've got a lot more stability on the O line. Right tackle Titus Howard, left guard Max Sharping, last year's draft picks. They both played well, and obviously they had uh, Laramie Tunsil, got him from Miami. They also got Kenny Stills from Miami as well, and that'll hopefully help keep Watson from getting sacked 100 times or however many times he got sacked. I think it was 62. Uh, As for the rest of the offense, Deshaun Watson is evolving into an elite NFL quarterback, but I don't know if that's going to be good enough this year to be able to get them another division win and a trip to the playoffs. Obviously, you know I don't think that it's good enough to get them a division win because I have the Titans winning the division. He got rid of his go-to receiver, so it'll be rough to see sort of see him transition, and fans have a right to be sort of furious with him. His protection has improved, which is really good, uh, but he does have weapons too, which like people are ignoring that fact because of the fact that they lost two starting running backs and DeAndre Hopkins. Okay, they re-signed Darren Fells, who is a really underrated tight end. They got David Johnson, who was at one point in his career, very early in his career as a rookie, 
one of, if not the best running back in the entire league. Like, <laughs> we know he has the talent. Now, obviously, they tried to replace DeAndre Hopkins with a combination of Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks, and that's not going to work. But look at their receiving core. They've got Brandon Cooks, who has now been on the Saints, the Patriots, the Rams, and the Texans. And in his days with the Rams, Patriots, and Saints, he has been a 1,000-yard receiver every year. So this is going to be a reliable guy, most likely, assuming he can learn the playbook that he's going to be able to throw to. When healthy, Will Fuller is an insane wide receiver. Randall Cobb is a veteran slot receiver, and he's going to be a great presence there for Watson to throw to. This is the strength of their team, at least on paper. The litany of receivers for Washington. Washington. Watson. The litany of receivers for Deshaun Watson. He has options. All right, he's going to be able to throw the ball. He doesn't have a DeAndre Hopkins, but he has options, and he has weapons. There's too much talent on this offense for them to fall off the face of the planet. On defense, they still have J.J. Watt, but he's injury-prone. They lost their nose tackle, D.J. Reader, who went to Cincinnati. Watt needs to stay healthy for them to be successful. That's one of the big things. He's so injury-prone, and last year the defense was pretty terrible. They finished 28th overall, 25th against the run, 29th against the pass. But their weakness is definitely their pass rush outside of J.J. Watt. Secondary is also just okay. They got Vernon Hargraves in the secondary, who's a really solid... Bradley Roby's a great corner as well. But overall, this is, I would say, an average defense right now. And the fact that they lost so many pieces over the offseason... Um, leads me to believe that they are actually not going to make the playoffs this year. I'm predicting an 8-8 eight and eight finish. Not good enough to make the playoffs. Now, I think that due to the fact that Bill O'Brien's no longer calling plays, and they have talent, plenty of talent on paper, I think they could make a deep run in the playoffs next year, but I'm not expecting this to be the year for Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans to come together. 8-8 eight and eight for me, they miss the playoffs. Let's move on to the last team in the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And before we jump into the Jaguars, let's look at them for a second. Every year, this division is a battle to the bitter end. This is pretty much how the division plays out every year. The Texans grind out a 10-win season. The Titans and the Colts fight for, you know, 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7. and seven, And sometimes one of them gets a wild card spot. And the Jaguars can never break six wins. That's literally what happens every year. Probably should have brought this up in the beginning. <laughs> but this literally happens every year. Honestly, go and look at every year over the past decade in the NFC, excuse me, the AFC South, and that's what's going to happen. It's always competitive through week 16, 17, but the Texans always end up getting 10 wins, the Titans and Colts 8 and 8 or 9 and 7. That being said, there was one anomaly. Back in 2017. That random 2017 season, when the Jaguars went 10-6, and they put up 45 points on the Steelers, and Blake Bortles looked like Dan Marino. They were literally two plays away from making the Super Bowl. Every other season, in the past decade, the Jaguars have finished 6-10 and or worse, except for that random 2017 year where they almost went to the Super Bowl. That is such a weird stat. What happened to that team? It was such a weird team. They had a great defense. And a really good offense, a 45-point-in-the-playoff type offense. 
Jaguars have been terrible, and this is not going to be another sort of anomaly 10-6 and six year. They're going back to being bad. So, what are we looking at for the Jaguars? Well, we're looking at their weakness here. I'm just going to say right off the bat is their lack of talent. I know that's not really that nice to say, but they are not a good football team on paper or by the eye test. The Minshew experiment. Okay, let's start a quarterback. Gardner Minshew was all right. 285 completions, 470 attempts, about 61% uh, completion percentage, almost 3,300 yards, about 234 yards per game, and then 21 touchdowns and six picks. He also had about close to 350 yards on the ground. He was solid, like not great, but solid. And teams are going to start to figure him out. He's not going to be like an incredible quarterback this year. He's a character, which is great for PR, but not so good for winning Super Bowls. And that's obviously what every team in the NFL is trying to do. If you can think back to week one, I think it was against the Chiefs. Gardner Minshew completed 88% of his passes, and that set the record for the most accurate single-game passing, uh, the most accurate single-game passing record in Jaguars history with a minimum of, of 25 attempts. He was he was accurate, and he was good, and that's where Minshew Mania started. Right at the beginning of the year, everybody loved him. They loved the character he was. They loved his facial hair. They loved everything about him, except for the fact that he was sort of an average quarterback, and people seem to forget that. He had some nice plays, and he's a solid NFL quarterback, but the rest of this team is just not good enough. I'm sorry. But the highest single-game pass completion percentage in Jaguars history is, is good. Yeah. So, the receiving core is good. D.D. Westbrook and D.J. Chark have insane potential. D.J. Chark is fast, big... He can jump, and he is trouble for defenders. This guy's starting to figure it out, and everybody should be petrified. Obviously, Leonard Fournette, if he can get past his his injury troubles, has a lot of potential as well, and he's he's proven himself. He's a proven commodity, too. They added a couple of pieces. They added Chris Thompson, who's going to be a nice change of pace back. He came over from Washington, formerly the Redskins, now the Washington football team. And they also added Tyler Eifert who came over from the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. So you get a change of pace back in Chris Thompson that, that you know can play successfully and catch passes out of the backfield behind Leonard, uh, Leonard Fournette. And they get a big guy who can run routes. He's going to be a target for Minshew, a safety blanket, if you will, uh, in Tyler Eifert. So it's an offense, but it's not a good offense. I don't care what you think of... Uh, Gardner Minshew, but people look at him and they forget that this is not a very good football team. He's cool, I guess, but he's not a great quarterback. And he doesn't have the talent around him to be able to be successful. Now, LaVisca Chenault is another story. Wide receiver out of Colorado drafted in the second round. And I'm not necessarily talking about the potential that this guy has. I mean, he's going to be good. I think that he could be a sneaky late-round fantasy football draft pick. And when you look at the guy, he has all the makings of a guy that could honestly be the best out of his draft class, which is really interesting to me because this was such a stacked draft class, but he can do it all. He's got size. He can pose as a sort of a backfield threat in certain packages and catch the ball in the screen game. He can break tackles, gain yards after contact. He He's a raw route runner and he's not like super fast, but he's very physical and he can be a gimmick player, and he like he's got upside. He's got upside. But that's not even what I'm talking about. LaVisca Chenault sounds like one of the names that Key and Peele 
would have used in their East-West Bowl sketches, if anybody remembers that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up. La Visca Chenault is such a fun name to say. Sounds like it could be like a brand of candy or like some sort of intergalactic name. Maybe like a planet or something. I don't know. This guy's got potential, but he's very raw and he's not going to get there yet. But he does have a fun name to say, so Key and Peel take note. That's the offense. And you guys remember when the defense used to be really good? Yeah. I remember those days. Well, now they have a few good pieces that have sort of started to trail off. Miles Jack is still a solid linebacker. Got Josh Allen and Yannick Ngakwe on the defensive line, holding down the edges there. The secondary isn't that great anymore. But it's just, it's not really that great of a football team. And there's nobody on the team that's going to put them over the top. They've got to stay healthy to be able to be competitive. But here's my prediction for the Jaguars. 2-14, and 14, they're not getting anything done. But LaVisca Chenault is a fun name to say. Even though the Jaguars will finish 2-14 and 14 and be the worst team in the NFL. Yeah. LaVisca Chenault. Isn't that fun? Alright. That's the AFC South. Let's move on to the AFC West. The Kansas City Chiefs are first up. Should not be a surprise to anyone. If the Kansas City Chiefs had a motto or a slogan for their upcoming season in 2020, it would be the equivalent of Lightning McQueen played by Owen Wilson sitting in the back of his truck by the name of Mac in the movie Cars just saying speed. I am speed. That would be the equivalent of the Kansas City Chiefs slogan or their motto. That's what it should be because this is a fast team. Next Gen Stats says that in 2019, the Chiefs are the fastest NFL team with ball carries averaging a top speed of 13.34 miles per hour, just .02 miles per hour ahead of the 49ers. These guys are fast. These are speedy, speedy skill position players. And it paid off. We got to see that speed does matter. It took the Chiefs 50 years to win the second Super Bowl for the franchise and Andy Reid finally got that elusive ring. And I think the Chiefs are just getting started, as I think that everybody does. They're bringing back 20 of their starters from the Super Bowl run. 20 out of 22. And as long as Mahomes stays healthy, they are going to contend for the crown again. It was a record-setting offense. They only got more explosive. Look, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league, and he's going to be... Um, an MVP probably several times over. He's going to be most likely a Hall of Famer. The guy got paid almost half a billion dollars in his 10-year contract. Could be up worth up to $503 million. Sammy Watkins got a restructured deal. They brought in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And this is going to be an insanely potent offense. They did what they had to do to bring the guys back to keep the team together. They're going to be the monster, the juggernaut, Probably the new dynasty that's going to dominate not just the AFC, but the NFL for the next several years. So what's their strength? Well, their strength is literally the entire team. It's the insane amount of talent that they have on their roster. It's nuts. It's not almost not fair. Do you guys remember the previous years of the <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs? Remember the days of the 11-5, 12-4, conservative, competitive Alex Smith-led Chiefs? Do you remember Kareem Hunt? Yeah. 
It feels like years ago. It, f- it feels like decades ago. Back when Kareem Hunt was on the team. Do we remember that? We have to keep in mind, though, that Patrick Mahomes isn't Patrick Mahomes without Alex Smith because Alex Smith was truly his mentor and his coach uh, in those uh, few years with Mahomes getting sort of accustomed to the team. Really, it was one primary year. So the strength is the Chiefs' entire team, (laughs) mostly their offense because they have the best tight end in the league, too. Don't forget that. Damian Williams is also better than we think at running back. I don't, I'm don't. i not a, a huge believer in his talent, but he's doing enough to be successful. 4.7 yards per carry last year. Um, or, I'm sorry, 4.7 yards per carry in his career with the Chiefs, but he hasn't topped 111 carries in a season, so he's not being used very much. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be an excellent addition to this offense because Damian Williams is not going to have to carry the load. He's going to be a great complement, similar to Kareem Hunt, and they're going to be able to ground and pound and at the same time torch teams out of the backfield. It's going to be fun to watch, unless you are a fan of one of the other teams in the division. The receiving core is insane, and... The offensive line is also really solid, and they brought back everybody from the offensive line last year. It's going to be great for cohesion, especially in a year in which coronavirus is making it incredibly difficult for teams to be able to come together and and just gain some experience together. The Chiefs bringing back the offensive line that they had last year is going to be one of the most valuable things for them all year. Led by Eric Fisher and Mitchell Mitchell Schwartz, they're gonna they're gonna get the job done. The defense is mostly pretty great too. Tyron Matthew got brought in obviously last year. He's their man. He's he's the, he can do it all. He's their Swiss Army knife. And up on the front line, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, they combined for seventeen sacks. Last year, these are elite guys. They're in their prime. And Chris Jones just got signed to a four-year contract extension, including $60 million in guarantees that could be worth as much as $85 million. I don't know how they found the money to pay him after giving Patrick Mahomes almost half a billion dollars, but, you know, to each their own. I know there's some sort of contract restructuring that they did. Probably their only weakness here is in the secondary at their cornerback position. They don't really have much of a weakness anywhere. But Brashad Breland and Charvarius Ward, they're serviceable cornerbacks. They're not weak-winning quarterbacks. They're not game-changing quarterbacks, but they're not necessarily going to be needed when you have a front seven like the Chiefs do. And, of course, the special teams are some of the best in the league. With the speed of Mikko Hardman and Tyreek Hill, this team is bound for greatness, and they're going to make another Super Bowl run this year. So if you have to find a weakness, it's, it's the cornerbacks, but they don't really have one. Record prediction, let's try 14-2 and two for them. Yeah, 14-2. and two. They're going to be even better. And they're going to crush everyone in their path en route to another playoff berth, first in the AFC West. All right, so who's next up? Well, it is the Denver Broncos, but I am not on the Broncos bandwagon as much as everyone else is because I don't think that it's going to come around this year. The Broncos are probably the most hyped team of 2020. And for good reasons, too. They have some star power on the offense and an incredibly potent offense on paper that could put up big numbers. 
but I'm not ready to give them a divisional win or even a playoff berth yet. You got to prove it to me first. They did what they were supposed to do, and they drafted well. But you're not going to tell me that Drew Locke, KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, second-year tight end Noah Fant, newly acquired Melvin Gordon, you're not going to tell me that these guys are going to, just like that, in a coronavirus season, click together and succeed right off the bat. You're not going to tell me that, because that's not happening. Now, the Broncos have missed the playoffs over the past four years, and they have went through, (laughs) they've cycled through seven starting quarterbacks, they've cycled through five offensive coordinators and three head coaches, and to address the problems they've been having, they brought in Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, and then Albert O at tight end as well, so they revamped their offense. I like this quote from Athlon Sports. The Broncos have gone from ginger ale to Red Bull overnight. That's true. And they boosted an offense that ranked 28th in points, 30th in third down conversions. That's really bad. And new offensive coordinator Pat Shermer is ready to take him to the finish line. But that's not going to happen this year, especially with the tough division they're in. It's not going to happen yet. you got to give it some time. Their strength is the skill position players on paper. Like I just mentioned, great young receivers. And even forget about Cortland Sutton, man, who was a hot commodity and an underrated guy last year. Almost 1,200 receiving yards. He got six touchdowns. And you add K.J. Hamler at the slot and Jerry Judy to play opposite Cortland Sutton. Plus, they have two of the best running... They probably have the best running back tandem in the entire league. We cannot forget about Philip Lindsay because Philip Lindsay was... He was good. And obviously, Melvin Gordon, when healthy and in his prime, is one of the best running backs in the league. And now you have these guys on the same team. So even if one guy gets hurt, the other guy's probably going to be able to at least pick up some of the slack. And then the athletic second-year man, Noah Fant. They brought in Albert O, who is another athletic tight end out of the University of Missouri. But none of this matters unless Drew Locke takes a step forward. And that is what is going to be very interesting to see. uh, Because Drew Locke has an insane amount of potential, but everything on the Denver Broncos' entire football team hinges upon whether or not Drew Locke is going to be able to develop. See what Shermer can do with uh, with, with Locke. uh, After he helped out Daniel Jones take a step forward, it's going to be really interesting. He's got the arm talent. He's got confidence. He can take chances. He's mobile. He knows his stuff. And on paper, the Broncos did what they needed to do. They brought in the receivers for him to throw to, and they gave him a solid ground game that he can lean on. They got Melvin Gordon for two years, almost $14 million guaranteed. And with Philip Lindsay as a compliment to him, yeah. <laughs> as a Broncos fan, you're going to like that. The Broncos' biggest weakness, to be honest, is probably Drew Locke's development because I don't think that it's going to be where other people think that it's going to be. I don't think he's going to, he's, he's not going to make that next complete step this year to take the Broncos all the way. It's not going to happen. They're not a playoff team. Not yet. The defense is a little interesting here. Obviously, Bradley Chubb sort of anchors that linebacking core along with Von Miller. They brought in Jarrell Casey from Tennessee, which was great. And people don't, don't seem to remember the Broncos... They were 10th best in the league in terms of points per game. They were first in red zone touchdown percentage. They lost some guys, though. Chris Harris Jr. in the secondary and defensive end Derek Wolf. 
But like I said, they brought in Jarrell Casey from Tennessee, and he's going to be an anchor on that defensive line for a while. And the secondary is pretty secretly good, too. Free safety Justin Simmons, they bring back him. They get Kareem Jackson and A.J. Boye. This, this could be a really, really good secondary. The Broncos had a bad year for sacks. Von Miller had only eight sacks last year, one of the lowest of his career. And they had, <laughs> in September... They didn't record a single sack. The first team since 1982 to go three straight games without a sack or a takeaway. Von Miller and Bradley Chubb in the linebacking core are going to be the key of the Broncos' defensive success. If they are able to turn it around, Chubb's returning from ACL surgery. Obviously, Miller's coming off a little bit more of a difficult season. When healthy, these guys are dominating linebackers. So we're going to see how they're going to be able to turn it around. That being said, my record prediction for the Broncos is 8-8. Eight and eight. I think they're going to finish second. And I want to credit John Elway for his ability to at least begin to build this offense around Drew Locke, which I think is going to be incredibly successful. This is what he had to do. He's bursting with potential. He is legit. I think Drew Locke is legit. I'm not trying to knock him. I'm just saying this year, especially given all that's happening with a limited season, it's not going to happen yet. Give it some time. The Broncos go 8-8. Eight and eight. Next year could be an 11-5 and five playoff season for them. But you're going to have to wait to see that sort of come to fruition if you're a Denver Broncos fan. Third up is Phillip Rivers. Nope. Not anymore. It's the Phillip Rivers less Los Angeles Chargers. He is gone. They never got Tom Brady. They didn't land a star quarterback. They're ready to compete, but it's going to be rough at the quarterback position with Tyrod Taylor. At the helm. They drafted Justin Herbert sixth overall to be the long term successor. But I feel like, based off of the moves the Chargers made, they're not ready to rebuild just yet. Like, they're trying to make a run at it this year. I don't think they're going to be successful at it. But I think they're trying to make a run. They're going to have a quarterback battle, which it looks like the veteran Tyrod Taylor is probably going to be the starter, but they obviously brought in Justin Herbert out of Oregon. They want Tyrod Taylor to have some competition, and he is. I still think it's going to be Tyrod Taylor's job at least to start out, but but Taylor's not good enough to be able to anchor that down the entire time. They can both throw deep, and they're both mobile. But Tyrod Ty, <laughs> Taylor's a little more familiar with the offense, and especially with the limited season, he's going to start out as the starter. And this is where I think their weakness sort of lies, too, is in their passing attack. I know they have some pieces, guys that have been really good. Keenan Allen, they've got Mike Williams. When healthy, those guys are, I would say, a couple of the best receivers, at least in the AFC. And they tried to bring in some some depth, but they still don't have much depth. Hunter Henry has been very injury-prone. We'll see if he gets to stay healthy. The biggest, most interesting piece of the puzzle in terms of the offense right now is Austin Eckler to see how he's going to handle the bulk of the workload because Melvin Gordon's gone. And they have guys behind him, Justin Jackson, and they brought in Joshua Kelly, uh, the rookie, out of UCLA. I couldn't remember where he was for a second. So we're going to see how this running back core turns out. It's not going to be the Austin Eckler show the whole time. I mean, he's he's going to be really successful in in the way that they run their offense, and Tyrod Taylor's going to dump off a lot of passes to him, but he's not going to be the guy. That's their weakness, the passing game. 
move on to the defense. It actually doesn't look too bad. I know some people are knocking their defense, but I think that their strength actually lies here somewhere in the defense. It's a star-studded defense, and the strength of their defense is on the defensive line. Joey Bosa had another Pro Bowl season. He didn't really have much help. They signed free agent Linval Joseph from Minnesota, and that's going to give both him and Melvin Ingram a little bit more of a cushion and a lot more help. They have now an interior pass rusher in Linval Joseph who can also stop the run. This is a really good defensive line, and on paper, it's going to be easily top 10, if not potentially top 5. It's a star-studded defense. And that's just the strength, I think, is the front is the front seven and their defensive line. Look at the secondary, too. They bring in Chris Harris from, from Denver. Obviously, when healthy, Derwin James, one of the better safeties, and they still have Casey Hayward. This is one of the best defenses in the entire league. And so when you have a capable, I think, a capable offense, it's going to have to have some more cohesion on the offensive line and not allow, you know, Tyrod Taylor to get sacked a million times. As long as they can do that, they're going to be competitive in a lot of games. And they actually are 23rd in terms of most difficult schedules in the league. That being said, I don't think their offense is going to be good enough, just simply put. And there's too many tough teams in the AFC. They've obviously got to play the Chiefs twice. They've got to play the Buccaneers and the Saints. Got to play the Patriots. They play the Falcons. They play... The star-studded Broncos offense, I think 7-9 and nine is what the Chargers go with. Maybe a cap at 9-7, and seven, but I don't think that their offense is good enough. And I think there's going to be too much turnover at the quarterback position. We might be looking at a type of Steelers team from this year who went 8-8 eight and eight because the offense was so terrible. There's a chance that we might be. It sort of plays out. It's, it sort of looks rather similar. And I don't think the offensive line is good enough to hold up and protect Tyrod Taylor. 7-9. and nine. They're going to finish third in the AFC West. And last but not least in the division, the formerly Oakland, currently Las Vegas Raiders, who last year went 7-9. What are they going to get this year? Well, the Raiders have been lacking one thing. They've been lacking explosive and dynamic weapons. They're sort of just a boring team, and they've been a boring team. Derek Carr has been up and down and all over the place. And he's been really good and he's been really bad, but he doesn't really have that explosive dynamic element to him. And and bringing in Marcus Mariota from the Titans is going to light a fire under Derek Carr's butt, I think, because they're sort of warning him. (laughs) you got to say this is a warning sign. You know, Carr's got to pick up his level of play this year. And he didn't have a terrible season last year, but they just were not a very good football team. Here's who's going to take the biggest step on the Raiders this year. It's Josh Jacobs. Last year, he rushed for 242 yards, 1,150 yards, and seven touchdowns. He only had 166 yards through the air, but this guy's a ground and pound. Just run it down your throat, bowl you over type of running back, and he's going to pick that up and continue to do that this year. I think that it is possible within the the range of possibilities for Josh Jacobs to be the number one running back this year in terms of rushing yardage. He could do that. I think it's possible. They're going to be leaning on him a lot. But he's still sort of a ground-and-pound sort of standard running back. Tyrell Williams was just annoying. He struggled with injuries. He had a few big plays, but he could never stay in the field. He was never consistent. Hunter Renfro is sort of your standard 
white slot receiver. I don't know. Nelson Aguilar is a guy that they brought in. We'll see how that works. But Henry Ruggs III was their big draft pick, and one of the guys at the top of the wide receiver class this year. They brought him out of Alabama. He's 5'11", weighs 188 pounds. He's a former five-star recruit, and he is fast. He is fast. There's some lack of variety to his game because he is mostly a deep threat player, but he's a hard worker, and as long as he can develop some route-running skills, he's going to be a really dangerous weapon. This was a great draft pick for the for the Las Vegas Raiders, and it's going to open things up and give him an opportunity. Although, again, and I've been saying this frequently, I'm not sure if the next step that they're going to take is this year. It might take a little bit longer. But credit to Gruden and uh, to Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock, they really started to build this team that Derek Carr needed around him. Obviously, Darren Waller, what a story he has. I had him and I had stock in him in several fantasy football leagues, and it was fun to watch him break out. He's six foot six, 238 pounds, and he is an athlete, man. This guy's going to be a safety blanket for Derek Carr for years to come. Add that to the fact that you have the veteran Jason Witten around now. They brought him over from Dallas. And you have a couple of the best tight ends in the league, I think, got the potential to be. Their strength here is their rushing attack led by Josh Jacobs and Devontae Booker as the backup, formerly of the Denver Broncos. So what does their defense look like? Well, the Raiders quite simply don't have a very good defense. They didn't have a very good defense last year, and they're not going to have a good defense this year. They just didn't have enough talent. They specifically lack talent at the linebacker position, which is definitely their weakness again this year. They were exploited so often last year. Now, they added Corey Littleton in free agency, which is going to be a huge upgrade to a team that struggles mightily at the linebacker position. They have Prince Amukamara now in the secondary, along with LaMarcus Joyner along with Demarius Randall, who's a safety. But the secondary is not good enough either. And here is the microcosm of the Las Vegas Raiders, a decent offense that brought in a lot of dynamic talent that still has a defense that's going to get exploited, particularly in the running game and the linebacking core. That's just what's going to happen. There's no way around it. And that's why, for me, the Raiders go 6-10 and 10 or 7-9. and nine. I'm going to put them at 7-9, and nine, which I think is a little bit generous because their defense is not good enough. Credit to John Gruen and Mike Mayock for building the pieces around Derek Carr that they needed to on offense, but they didn't focus on the defense enough, which is why they're going to finish fourth last place in the AFC West in 2020. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Episode number two, we're through the AFC. NFC is where we're going next. So keep an eye out for those episodes. I hope you guys are doing well, staying safe, Staying healthy as we continue to look forward to football in 2020. So, without further ado, thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to follow the podcast on all social media platforms. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go to the website, www.theblindsideblitzpodcast.weebly.com. I'm on Spotify and Google Podcasts and Anchor. Check us out everywhere, and we will see you next time on The Blindside Blitz. Peace out. Peace out.